Today we're going to talk about how to get started in tech. There are a lot of different ways to learn how to code, and in this episode, we're going to discuss boot camps, self-directed learning, and computer science degrees. They all have their benefits and have brought a lot of people into the world of programming, but each also has its own challenges. We all learn to code in different ways, and we'll incorporate our experiences and observations today. Let's get started. Welcome to the Ladybug Podcast. I'm Kelly. I'm Allie. I'm Emma. And I'm Lindsay. And we're debugging the tech industry. First things first, where did we learn to code? Emma, you can go first. So I was in college. I actually was a biology major in college and then quickly realized that I was terrible at it. And so I switched to actuarial science where I took an intro to computer science course and totally fell in love with like binary and hexadecimal and octal. So the rest is really history. I, so I studied computer science and my first language was Java. And yeah, I was a little bit of a late bloomer, but I thoroughly enjoy it. So Kelly, where did you start? So I have a, a little bit of a funny story about Java as well. But I got started when I was 11 years old. I wanted to build my own community on Neopets. And if you're not familiar with what Neopets is, uh, it's this website where you can have your own virtual pet and you can feed it and play games and you can have your own communities and all kinds of stuff. And I really wanted to build my own community and customize it, but you needed to know how to code to do that. So I asked my dad for uh, an HTML book. And my first book was HTML goodies. And I was like, awesome. This is a lot of fun. So fast forward to high school and I take AP computer science and my first language in color in high school was uh, Java. And I was so bad at it that I needed a tutor just to pass the class. So I was like, I'm never going to do this ever. But, you know, obviously 17 years later, and I'm very clearly still coding. So something eventually clicked, but it wasn't Java. Anyway, Lindsay, go ahead. <laughs> so I was an admin assistant, really aimlessly going through my job was very miserable. My dad sort of suggested coding to me and was like, worst case scenario, if you hate it, you could try something else. So he bought me a introduction to Drupal book. And quite frankly, I do not recommend starting out as Drupal when you're learning to code, but that's how I did. And I just continued learning, continue working in the mornings before work. And then I got my first Drupal job. So a few years into that, I started learning about accessibility, which we'll probably talk about more on the podcast. Then a, a year or so after that, I started learning about React and Vue.js. And now I'm a React developer, and the rest is kind of history. Allie, what about you? I actually want to, I want to interject here for a second. Lindsay, can you explain what Drupal is? Sure. So Drupal is a CMS, which stands for a content management system. Uh, it's similar to WordPress, except a lot more complex in a lot of ways. So it's not always the right tool for that job. Uh, hopefully all the people in the Drupal community aren't hating me for way I explain this, but uh, it's a very opinionated way of doing things. And it's basically a CMS. So a place to store your content. The reason why CMSs are, were really cool at the time that they started coming about is you no longer had to call a webmaster to update your content. You could just update your content by yourself and hire somebody to build all the other things. And you could have ownership of your content and didn't need to be a coder to update it. Cool. All right, Allie, let's hear your story. Totally. So I 
learned to code when I also was a sophomore in college, similar to Emma. I had no idea what coding even was, but I had an extra credit in my time. And so I decided to sign up for it because people were always like, it's a good thing to learn and it'll help you no matter what. So I signed up for it. And I honestly thought that I was going to be learning how to like format Word documents well or something like that. I had no idea what code was, but I was instead writing Python. It was super fun. We were building games. I just thought it was magical how you could put stuff together and have a program come out of it. So I completely reconfigured my schedule and was like, I'm going to double major in computer science. This is my future. This is so cool. And so I started my second class, which was in C++. And it was a super intense data structures and algorithms class, very much a weed out class. And I was pulling all-nighters and working so hard in that class just to understand it. And I did come out of it with a good grade, but I was like, if I have to work this hard for it, it means that I'm not good enough at it. And so this is really just not for me. Then when I was a junior in college, I had an internship doing mostly Excel data analysis type work. And I figured out that I could automate a lot of my own job using the Python skills that I had. And so from there, I got a software engineering internship and transitioned to working full-time in code. I also do have the context of working at a boot camp too. So I worked full-time at General Assembly for a few years and still work for them part-time. So I can definitely give more context on that too. There's a lot of stipulation in the tech industry about whether or not you need a computer science degree to be successful. And what I find really endearing is that we all came from different backgrounds and yet, you know, we're all, I would say we're all successful, right? In our own ways. Um, in, in terms of what success means to us, right? It's relative. But this question that keeps floating around is, do you need a computer science degree to be successful? And back in the day, it used to be that you didn't even need a tech degree because they didn't exist, right? So my parents, like my mom is a senior designer, but she's a math degree. And my dad has an engineering degree, but now he's a computer scientist. So my question is like, in today's day and age, do we need this CS degree to be successful? And um, I'll kick things off by saying, you know, I have a CS degree. And in all honesty, I don't necessarily think it helped me all that much. Um, so let's just chat a little bit about the pros and cons of getting a degree. Totally. So I think the biggest pro that I would think of is the potential to be taken more seriously. People see that you have a computer science degree on paper and are like, oh, this person really knows their stuff. And there's a lot of different knowledge that I think that you get from a computer science degree that you then you get from a boot camp or being self-taught. Usually just the path is a little bit different. So I think that there are definitely huge pros to it. Well, let me quickly too just describe the coursework that I took. That might be uh, quite helpful. So I started out with Intro to Computer Science, which was uh, based in Alice. So it was just drag and drop tiles for coding. And then we moved into Intro to Programming, which was taught in Java. So we learned object-oriented. And then my junior year was more about analysis of algorithms and data structures. We also took an assembly language programming class, which is really cool to actually like create, you know, work at that, that low level and, and actually build breadboards and memory and, and whatnot. Then I also took like a database course and then I took a web development course as well as software engineering. So we got the full blend of like all of these different things. And what I will say is that I think I learned the algorithms and the analysis of like big O runtime and big theta and, and whatnot, I learned those things quite well. But where I actually was lacking was the programming knowledge. So I, you know, we learned Java, but like realistically, I didn't 
walk away with real programming knowledge. I walked away with theory. And that's mm. actually uh, an interesting point, you know, uh, coming from a self-taught background, I know how to code, but I was, you know, up until recently, I could never really tell you why I was doing what I was doing. It was just like, I knew this works and I'm going to keep on doing it. But if somebody asked me the theory behind what I was doing, I would just shrug my shoulders and say, mm, I don't know. Yeah. I think the interesting thing too, is so many of the words in programming that you hear from CS degrees are actually not as scary as I thought they were, but a lot of times I always found it very scary to hear about like data structures and algorithms and basically object oriented and all these words, they always scared me. And I hear about the way you just talked about it and I'm like, oh, that actually doesn't seem too, too bad. The question too is, do we need computer science principles to be a good developer, right? And um, like, especially when we get into technical uh, interviews, which we won't necessarily cover today, but they test a lot of these algorithmic, you know, data structures and, and run times. And do we need that? And I think my answer to that is yes, at a conceptual level, like I need to, to understand why one algorithm, like why are nested for loops exponentially worse at runtime than, you know, just two for loops that are placed out side of each other on the same, you know, lateral plane. So understanding that conceptually is great, but um, asking someone exactly what's the big theta or big O runtime of this, like, do we need that? I don't know. What do you think? I would say, you know, like getting close to coming up on 20 years on coding, I would completely fail a, like a whiteboard interview, I or like a technical interview. I would not be able to do it. So I absolutely think it's important in, in certain situations when you're having to put yourself in front of an interview room and answer these questions. Like I absolutely could not do it. Yeah. I feel really lucky that I do have some computer science knowledge that I did take those couple classes and learn from that context. That being said, I think that the stuff that I've learned myself that has been a little bit more web dev focused has been stuff that I use more every day, whereas that stuff is more important for understanding the context behind it. I think honestly, if I had gone Kelly's route and learned programming from a young age and then took computer science, I think it would have been excellent because I would have understand the context and all that. But as my first introduction, I was like, I don't understand this. I don't understand why you've used this. Like with C++, I was like, we have Python. Lists are built in. You don't need to build a link list. Why would you do that? And that wasn't explained to me. But if I had more programming experience before that, I think that it would have been. Yeah, I, I always find too that having the why is so important. There are so many things that I've learned and it wasn't until I learned why that they actually clicked in my head. Like even accessibility stuff, I remember... Actually, this isn't an episode about my accessibility stuff, but I will say once I started learning about it, I literally was just plopped in there like fix it. And I had no idea it was about people being able to access content. I was just like, I don't know what these errors mean and why I have to fix them, but okay. And well, this once, is, I, yeah. Yeah, once I learned why, I think just, you know, circling back, understanding why with what Allie was saying, if she had been doing web dev stuff and then understood why, it would have probably been really helpful for her. Absolutely. So there's 
there's a great book I want to call out. Uh, it's called uh, Start With Why. It's by Simon Sinek. It's one of my favorites. And it talks about having like, I think, what is it? The ethos behind everything. Like, why do we do the things that we do? And I think that's why we've all been so successful is we've all had this guiding why behind all of the content that we produce, which is, you know, another episode. But um, <laughs> what I lacked was the why behind all of the things that I did. I did them because it was part of my curriculum. And, and that was the track that I followed, right? I And that's why I believe that 95% of the stuff that I know today I was self-taught with and I struggled for a long time because I had no why in my degree other than it's my degree, right? Like I didn't have a guiding force. Let's switch maybe a little bit into um, talking about the concept of like college instructors versus self-guided learning, right? So the instructors, I didn't really get a chance to pick and choose like the people whose learning style that I clicked with versus when you're self-taught, you get to kind of play around with different tutorials and instructors and even mediums, whether you like to read or watch watch tutorials. So what do you think the pros and cons of that is uh, having a, a dedicated instructor maybe to give more guidance versus being able to kind of choose your medium and your instructor, but not having the reassurance if you need extra help? I have a feeling Allie has opinions on this. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of opinions on this. So fun fact about me, I actually have more formal education experience than I have computer science. So I was an education minor in college and have before I dropped one credit early. Anyways, that's another story. So I also taught in a middle school for a little bit, student teaching, and then taught more formally as a boot camp instructor. And I think the interesting thing is that most college professors don't have any instructional training. They're mostly there as researchers and as academics, and the teaching comes second to a lot of them. And I just, I guess I don't understand why that's a thing and why colleges are still doing that. So I think that you can get really lucky and have these incredible instructors at a college level. And I had one instructor it was incredible. I TA'd for him or assistant taught for him afterwards, and it was great. But I think a lot of times you see these lecture halls where there are 400 students being taught something and they're just being spoken at, and that's not how people learn. And that really bothers me. Yeah, and I think uh, to that point, so I went to a really, really small liberal arts college that um, John Papa actually went to the same one, uh, funnily enough. What was great about that is the classes were small. We had maybe 30 students. But, and and while I did have great professors, there was one I remember in particular, and he taught multiple because it was such a small school. I remember uh, it was intro to programming, I believe. And he, first of all, we had two exams, uh, a midterm and a final. And he said to all of us, my exam is so hard that it is open book, open internet, and the majority of you are going to fail it. If you would rather take a 50% and not take the exam, you'll probably still do better than if you try. So here you go. And I was sitting there like, that is the most demeaning and discouraging comment that you can give a room full of bright minded kids. Really, we were kids. And so like that for me was hard being set up for failure just because you don't know how to instruct. That was very hard for me. Yeah. I've never really understood that. Like, you know, not, I, I went to college for a really long time. I have two master's degrees as well, but whenever I'd have a professor who would do that, like you're, why are you setting the students up for failure? Don't you want to see us succeed? Yeah, it's unreal. Especially weed out classes where they're trying to get people to drop the major because they don't have enough room for everybody or something like that. Like then come on, you're just setting up the people who had programming in high school to succeed in this program. And those are people from wealthy 
suburban high schools. Those are the people who have that, right? And so you're completely weeding people out based off of their prior knowledge, not based off of how well they're, they're doing in your class. And that's not fair. Yeah. I will say uh, no hard feelings to my college. I loved my college, Sienna. I thought it was a great school and I you know, I wouldn't be where I am today. But that being said, this one professor additionally would also get up in front of us and tell us his favorite students. And I'm sitting here thinking this is so he was a very nice person, but he was one of those people who didn't necessarily have the social skills that it took to, you know, guide uh, uh, young minded people. And that really hindered me because when I got to my first job, I was so overwhelmed, I cried for probably the first year. And so I would say, when you have great professors and you're in a setting that is conducive to absorbing that information, it's great. And when you don't, like, you're a little bit lost. Um, but not only that, let's talk price because this is expensive. And uh, I think we can all agree, you definitely do not need a CS degree to be successful. And I think we're all living proof of that. But I can tell you right now, I paid well over $100,000 for four years of undergraduate school. Like, it was probably between one hundred twenty to 160000 now, that was a small private school in Albany, New York, so it was expensive. But the benefit is, uh, not a benefit, you don't need your master's degree, which is great. It, I mean, it can help you salary-wise, but you don't necessarily need a master's degree to get a, a dev job. But when we're talking in comparison to boot camps, you know, degrees are a lot more expensive. Yeah. And, and the time, too. You have to think of the opportunity costs of four years versus a couple months, that's four years of work experience that you're kind of missing out yeah. on. Sure. Even when I started teaching myself to code, I was only teaching myself for maybe 18 months. So even then, you think about the opportunity cost, it still took less time and obviously less money. Definitely a good point there. I didn't even really think about the opportunity cost. But, um, yeah, neither. I can definitely say that I was a very busy middle schooler. So I only <laughs> had limited time to actually teach myself to code. um yeah no very interesting and the funny thing is and I think the thing is is I can see your faces and nobody else can and I know they always say this on podcasts but when Emma said that they were doing or picking favorites my jaw just was like yeah I I mean the fact that I'm still like salty about it to this day is kind of like what the heck um oh I'd still be uh, salty (laughs) well what's so funny is like uh, you know one of the other points last points I want to make about CS degree is they focus primarily on back-end dev so I learned Java I learned assembly language MIPS there was one web dev course which I was mandated to take because uh when I got hired for a full-time position at IBM, I was hired as a Java developer. And then a few months before I started, they called and said, hey, uh, we want you to do front end. And I was like, oh, HTML is easy. Cool, let's do it. And then I took my web dev course and what I learned, intro to HTML, intro to, to CSS, some barely, barely like basics of JavaScript. And that's not the word, the bare basics of JavaScript. And then what I learned, Bootstrap, and I learned PHP. And that was it. And it was so high level because, again, the professors didn't fully understand like um, what it took to be relevant, didn't cover any JavaScript frameworks whatsoever. Um, and so I get to my first day of work and I'm like, oh, there's more to it than writing HTML markup. Oh, mm-hmm. crap. Um, and so why do they only focus on backend dev? And especially because we've been fighting this, this notion that backend's better than front end. And it's like, no, it's, it's not better. Nothing is better, right? They're different. And we should also be teaching web dev as a legitimate course to go into when you're exploring tech. So how do we feel about that? 
I think in, in relation to the amount of time it takes to complete a degree, think about, you know, by the time you're, you, you start your, you know, your computer science classes, let's say you have cores to get out of the way. Let's say you start taking your comp- computer science classes your sophomore year. By the time you reach your senior year, we're all using new technologies out in the wild. And it's really, really difficult to keep up with, you know, what everyone's actually using in real life situations. And you're always good. I mean, it's actually a good lesson to learn when you're learning how to code is that you're always going to feel like you're a little bit behind. And that is totally fine. Because I mean, yeah, we coded our own site in, in React and Gatsby. And I have only built one site using Gatsby before. And it's a lot of just like jumping into the deep end and trying to figure it out as you go. But mm-hmm. my whole point is that this kind of carries around back to getting a computer science degree on the learning on the front end side. There's only so much they can teach you just because every single environment and every single tech stack is going to be slightly different depending on where you go. And it becomes difficult to have to like somehow be able to teach everything by the time you're ready to when you leave, when you graduate. I think the best thing that instructors can do more generally is teach you how to teach yourself rather than teach you any one thing particular. So, and I think that the classes where you learn a bunch of stuff that do help with that, but also learning one thing in depth means that it's easier to move to learning something else. Whereas if you're just learning the bare basics of a million things, then you're not really learning much that can actually apply to the, to the job or to writing your own yeah. projects. Yeah. And so I think that that's another place that good instructors. Yeah. Are. And I think, I think ultimately when we get down to it, a CS degree gave me two things. One, it gave me problem solving skills and two, it gave me something nice to put on my resume. And as shallow as that sounds, it's true, right? Why do we do these things so we can get a job? I do think that that, unfortunately, uh, when you look at the totality of this industry, I think it does put you a little bit up like it puts you higher up in the ranks initially, right? Because when uh, these recruiters are looking at your resume or whatnot, they give you what, 15 second look over. And so I think that helps a little bit. I would love to challenge that though, because I, some of the best developers I know either don't have a degree at all or they're definitely not in CS. So Is it me? Um, Am I the best developer you know? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> not even a question. You were in a magazine. <laughs> so. Was. In any case, uh, <laughs> but let's let's switch gears and let's talk about boot camps. So I was not a boot camp grad, but I taught at one for a long time, and or I guess teach, but not full time. So I think are really really awesome in a lot of ways too because they allow you to learn job applicable skills in a very short time frame. So you can learn the basics that you will need in order to do a web developer job. Usually these people funnel into front-end jobs, but you could go anywhere in the stack. And usually 12 weeks, maybe six months if it's a different type of bootcamp. And they have all sorts of different formats. So they have self-paced ones where you're learning online and um, complete it at your own pace. There are online ones that are instructor-led in a way that They are more paced where you have deadlines for stuff and there's a track that you're following. Then there's also in-person ones. And so that's where I have the most experience. And those are really great because you're in a classroom with an instructor more similar to a high school or college class. And you have a group of other people that are learning along with you. So you can really support each other. That's one of my favorite parts about boot camps. So have you all worked with a lot of boot camp grads? Uh, I've worked with a few. I have 
varying opinions. Uh, I think for me, uh, the boot camp grads that I've worked with are either amazing or annoy me. Um, and <laughs> I love your honesty. Uh, <laughs> I know. I, I I should probably be a little bit more sensitive, but the ones that are great are like freaking amazing. They're so cool. They're really eager to learn. They're, they have like the background knowledge that I would expect, but they're also very ripe and fresh for the learning. And they're, they've got that best of both worlds where they have some knowledge, but they're also super eager. And then I have people who I've encountered who are just, who just wanted to go into the boot camp to get a good job and don't want to learn anything else. And they'll be like, I've had people talk down to me and act like I don't know what I'm talking about. And I remember one specific issue was in CSS and he had five different classes chained together and it made it really hard to overwrite things. And I was just like, you only need one or two CSS classes that are chained together to, for specificity. And he told me there was no way it was possible to do it the way I was suggesting. And then I created PR with what I was suggesting. And it was really frustrating because it took a lot of my time as it, cause I was a team lead at the time. Actually, you know, this is literally the only person that I've had this issue with. So maybe I shouldn't generalize. It's either awesome or that one person. <laughs> well, let me make a quick comment to your, to your point. It is, if you are in this industry to gain a paycheck, like you can do it, but like you really should love it, right? Like the, the most successful people that I've seen love what they do and they're really good at it. If you're here to collect a paycheck, you can do it. You can make good money in tech, but at the end of the day, like it's going to, you're not going to enjoy what you do. And this goes for anything in life, but like enjoy what you do. Life's too short. Now that I have, and let me get off my soapbox. Uh, I have a couple of questions. So let me just ask them both together and we can iterate on it. But one, what types of boot camps are out there? So like I know like General Assembly is maybe one. So if we can name a couple popular ones, that would be cool. And then also, who's a good candidate for a boot camp? So would it be someone who's fresh, you know, out of high school? Is it someone who's been in the industry but also needs to like maybe up their, their coding game? So let's talk about those. So I have a few opinions on that. Um, I think it also comes down to learning style. I'm very much a self-directed learning type of person because I'm, I just get very anxious in classroom settings, but I'm also very highly motivated. Some people need the structure in order to really show up and there's nothing wrong with that. I've never needed that structure personally and the structure actually stresses me out more than it helps me. But some people are totally the opposite. They're like, I need that structure. I need that structure. I need that accountability. And that's great, just doesn't work for people like me. Yeah, so I can keep going off of that. I think that that's one of the best parts of it. The other thing is that if you're doing self-directed learning, there's nobody there that's really checking your work, right? So you could be learning something totally incorrectly and never have somebody to reel you back in. And so that's one of the really great parts of having a boot camp is that somebody is there who's grading your assignments, who's looking stuff over that you have for office hours, that if you have a really hard bug, you can go ask them. Whereas you don't really have that as much when you're doing self-teaching. As far as different boot camps that are out there, at least in the markets that I am most educated on, I think that General Assembly and the Flatiron School are two big ones. And then online, there's Lambda School, which is kind of another one that's taking off. But there are different ones in different areas, and you all may have different ones there. 
And then as far as who is a great fit for a boot camp, the one that I see the most often is career changers. So somebody who has had a successful career, who has done something for a while, but wants to change, wants something new for some sort of reason, whether it's that they have started self-teaching themselves code and really, really like it, or they're looking for greater opportunity in their lives, which can be a great motivator for people too. So that's the vast majority. There are the people that just got out of high school that are trying to do this instead of college. Those are pretty rare. And then there are also another category of people who are not actually looking to career change. They're just there to learn another skill, whether that's to manage better because they manage developers or just because they like learning things. So definitely a wide range of bootcamp students of all different ages and experience levels. My biggest piece of advice before you join a bootcamp is to self-teach for at least a little bit first. A, so that you know that you at least somewhat enjoy writing code. You don't have to be in love with it. You don't have to think it's magic, but you can't hate doing it and think that it's this awful thing and then want to career change in order to do it full time. You won't have fun. Then another awesome thing about it is that boot camps really move crazy fast. That's just the way that boot camps work. You're in a limited time frame. Everybody has to be learning together. That's just the way it works. So if you have the knowledge coming in and the first week or two can go a little bit slower for you because you know these things coming in, that's a huge asset to you and you'll feel more comfortable. So highly recommend doing that even if you're going to do a boot camp to self-teach for a little bit first. That's really good advice. I have a couple quick questions. Sorry, Kelly. Uh, do you want to respond directly to that or can I interject a couple of questions? You can interject. Just, just two questions though. Just two. Okay. <laughs> You're it. Uh, um, two. So one, is there anyone who shouldn't attend uh, a boot camp? And my initial reaction to this is, yeah, I'm going to ask a question and answer it. It's fine. My initial gut reaction to this is like, if you are not maybe advanced or you're not, you know, beginner level, I maybe wouldn't recommend a boot camp. Ali, I would love to hear your take on that. Um, and quickly, the second, Actually, the second thing I just yeah. mentioned so I don't forget is how much can someone expect to pay for a boot camp? Yeah, so great questions, both of them. So the first one, I actually would disagree with that. So I've had students who were actually employed as software engineers with computer science degrees who felt like they were in over their head at work and did a boot camp in order to feel more confident, and it did wonders for them. They completely transformed their career with it. So that's totally an edge case and definitely not your average student whatsoever. But I think that that can actually work. And especially for computer science students who maybe didn't have the practical experience, it can be helpful there. I would agree that if you're super, super advanced and have like a master's in computer science or something along those lines, it probably won't help you as much as a beginner student, but everybody's different. As far as price goes, most of the in-person ones run around $15,000, at least in the bigger cities, whereas smaller cities could, would probably be a little bit less than that just because cost of living and cost of running a business and all that. The other thing is that a lot of them are moving to a payment plan where you only pay once you get a job and you pay back a percentage of your salary. So Lambda School is like very well known for this, but the other boot camps actually have this in place as well. It's just one of the payment options instead of the only one. And it's one. such a great option as well, especially for second career people or third or fourth, because obviously you have bills to pay. You're not just fresh out of high school and 
being able to not have to worry about taking on that immediate burden and be able to comfortably change your career is incredible. Totally, totally. And it's less of a gamble too. Like you have to be making decent money in order to even um, have to pay any of the money back. And so it's very much geared towards yeah. that. So, something to consider. So I have one comment to make, but and then yeah. we'll have to move on since we're talking for a long time about this. I'm an employer, so I have the opportunity to uh, hire people for my team and hire developers. And I will say my favorite people are the ones who are either second career or they have work experience. And if they did go the boot camp option, they worked for a little while before actually coming to the boot camp because boot camps are really great for you know teaching you how to code, but you're going to get a lot more of the actual on the job experience if you've worked anywhere previously. Do you agree? Disagree? Yeah. Awesome. I, totally. I agree. Yes. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Another piece of advice is I would really dig into their numbers before joining. So make sure that their graduation rate is good. So people actually are completing the boot camp once they start it, that people are successfully transitioning out of it, that they're getting people employed afterwards. They're, all those numbers should be online for your boot camp. Um, and also if you're doing one of those payment plans, make sure to read the terms of that because some of them, if you don't graduate, then the payment terms become different. So make sure that you're reading those before you sign. Wonderful advice. All right. So we can make an entire episode on just self-directed learning and we may end up doing that. But (laughs) for now, let's just really quickly touch on the benefits of going the self-directed learning route and also some really useful resources for getting started with self-directed learning. So I'll let you guys take it from here. Yeah. So, um, Kelly, both in, you and I have done the uh, self-directed learning, and I've been actually using that term instead of self-taught a lot more lately because when it comes down to it, I think every single person who is a software engineer has to be self-taught to some degree. But I decided to take the tra- trajectory of self-directed learning for a multitude of reasons, and these will be quote unquote the pros. For me, it was money. I was making 35K in DC, which Woo-hoo! is... <laughs> yeah. I can a shoebox. <laughs> yeah, very, very not a lot of money. So for me, uh, it was that. And it also really, that actually is the major pro for me. And also the go at your own pace. The go at your own pace is both a pro and a con though. The con with it is you're not going to get a job as quickly. The pro with it is if you're like me and you get stressed out by the speed of things, then it's actually a good thing. For me, I I wanted to dip my toes in, go at my own pace. You know, I don't do as well in classrooms, like I said, but it really, really helped me to get my own pace and make sure that, you know, I was understanding. And and even with what Ali said before is, even if you do do a bootcamp, doing a few self-taught or self-directed learning tutorials and whatnot is super critical to make sure you actually know you want to do it. Because I knew I wanted to do it because I was teaching myself and I was voluntarily waking up at 5.30 in the morning before work and teaching myself to code. And I did that for 18 months. And yeah, it's, I'm, I think about it now and I'm just like, I'm trying to give myself a pat on the back. I'm like, that's kind of cool, Lindsay, you did that. (laughs) So, but you know, some people get overwhelmed with that or if life happens, they need something that really structures it so that even if life comes, they can have that as their set priority versus 
you know, oh, I'm just learning to code on the side. It's a little bit harder to prioritize that unless you're super, super dedicated to it. Um, and motivation is hard. Like, quite frankly, that's a big con is getting motivated is a challenging thing. And quite frankly, I never relied on motivation, which is why I think I was really successful in teaching myself because I just literally had it as a habit. But staying motivated, especially when you're like, oh, I'm on the struggle bus with this. I have a lot of challenges. I don't understand this bug. It can feel very isolating. So getting out to uh, like to meetups, asking for help, joining communities is way, I mean, it's critical wherever you are, but I feel like it's the most critical when you're doing a self-directed learning uh, trajectory. Agreed. And the other great thing about self-directed learning is you can base your projects on whatever interests you the most. And we are all queens of, of you know, side projects. So let's each talk about what interests us when it comes to building projects. Mm, I love the stupid stuff that no one cares about. Uh, it reminds me of Sarah Vieira who just like builds dumb things. I'm trying not to swear. So, um, yeah, I'm not going to use the exact phrasing. Um, but like the other day, like I was, I'm obsessed with cats, uh, as are most of us, I think, uh, except for Alex <laughs> Blair, who looks like a cat apparently. And, um, <laughs> Uh, so like I was like surfing like how many domains can I buy gotta collect them all and I was like random cat generator that sounds great and I literally just made a like you press a button and it gives you a new picture of a cat and like I was like oh this is a cool project because I get to use open source APIs like I hadn't really done that like the API thing before because I kind of work on a design team and never needed to interface with APIs but literally like take your interest and like make a stupid project out of it right like uh, another one is like maybe just make a site that when you click a button it changes the background color like stupid things that help you learn specific skills I think are going to go a long way. Yeah, I I love I love silly projects too. And I think something that I've known is really helpful for a lot of people is building or replicating an app that you know really well that you use. Like I am kind of obsessed with financial personal budgeting and that's mostly because if I don't keep track of it I will overspend. That's a different story, but uh I know very much what the rules are for a for that kind of app. I know that there's a total amount of income, there are expenses, you subtract the expenses, you have income groups. So it's like, you know the rules. And I think that's why a lot of times games are really popular for side projects, um, building games, especially ones that are well-played like tic-tac-toe and hangman and all that stuff because the rules are really clear. So you kind of have a good control to test against. Yeah, going off of that, I really like games as well because they're usually relatively small and they're also really logic heavy. So building all that logic is going to be probably more intense than building a recipe app or a to-do list or something along those lines. You're having to think through the logic a little bit more. That being said, I think one of the biggest issues with self-directed learning in general is getting into the tutorial spiral. So you're doing one tutorial, then the next tutorial, then the next tutorial, and it's not clicking perfectly, but you're just keeping reading these tutorials and you're not building anything and it just spirals. And so I think even when you're reading those tutorials, having some goal in mind of something that you're trying to build and that you're trying to accomplish with that is really important so that you're actually applying your knowledge because if you're not applying it, then it may as well not exist. And that's how my personal site came about because 
I really wanted to learn Gatsby. And I'm like, I can go through random tutorials that exist, but that's not really fun. So that's how I ended up building my entire, my entire <laughs> little website. And, you know, if you visit it, you can see like a section that's like buy Kelly coffee. Cause I just <laughs> wanted to see how the e-commerce component worked. And it's kind of fun because every now and then I end up with like $3 in my bank account because somebody gave me <laughs> coffee. That's awesome. Well, Speaking to that, let's chat about resources. So I have some of my favorites that are paid and then I want to mention a couple of free ones as well. So I think I started to learn um, when I had my internship at IBM, I, I had to learn Python. Uh, and so I went to Code Academy or Code Academy. I don't know. It always confuses me. I like I feel like there's an A, but I don't think there is Nelson Mandela effect is real. So Code Academy is a great one. Um, free Code Camp is free. Uh, <laughs> it would be weird if it wasn't. Really like that one. But of course, Egghead is great. Friend and Masters are also amazing. I love Educative. I, I just found out about this because I was taking a systems design course. Highly recommend, but there aren't videos. So Egghead and Friend and Masters have videos uh, if you like those versus Educative is just reading. And I also, of course, love Linda and Treehouse. Those are some great ones. Uh, my problem is going real quick. I'm all over the place spiraling through these tutorials. Like I love all of them. I couldn't pick a favorite because like I just you know, they're also different and I feel like I get different things from all of them. But what that means is I rarely finish a course because I'm like, oh, another one on Egghead. Oh, another one on Frontend Masters. And I kind of like hop around. So do you have any favorites? Um, I really like JS30 by West Boss. Um, you know, I, JavaScript is one of those things that like you can get in tutorial hell pretty quickly. You know, like Ali was saying, it's tutorial after tutorial. And one of my biggest problems with learning JavaScript is being like, okay, yes, yeah, so you can do uh, calculations, but what am I actually going to use this for? Like, so what? And something I really thought was neat about JS30 is you, every video you build something new. And I remember that first lesson was, I think, like a, gem, a drum set. And I was showing my, uh, my partner it. And he was like, oh, that's pretty neat. And I'm like, yeah, it's super cool. Super cool. I built that. And you just have a little bit of a sense of pride. I really like that one. And I really like Wes's teaching style. So I love that one. I also like Egghead. Um, Egghead for me has a different mindset. Like I always pick up Egghead because their courses are super quick, like 30 minutes, maybe an hour tops. So if I have to pick up a skill really quickly, but I don't have a lot of time at work and it's an easier way to sneak at a half hour course than it is to sneak a full like eight hour course. So I've done that twice now. I did that with context for React and React internationalization. This is not awesome. going to come as any <laughs> surprise whatsoever, but I love Twitter. <laughs> what? I know. Have you I heard of it? Internet? <laughs> no, no. Twitter is amazing for asking. You have this huge community of people who are more than happy to help, barring the few that just want to point out your mistakes. Um, ignore them. But honestly, feel feel like comfortable. If you get stuck on something, take a screenshot of it. Or, you know, I guess you could take a picture of your computer screen with your phone. You <laughs> <laughs> and do say like, hey, I'm stuck on this. <laughs> Allie just shook her head. No, she disagrees. <laughs> anyway, yeah. yeah, I mean, post about it on Twitter. And I guarantee there are going to be people who are more than happy to help guide you towards the right answer, or provide the resources you need to actually, you know, solve the problem you've run true, into. True. I mean, Twitter will give you advice even if you don't want it. So. That's right. <laughs> 
double-edged sword, but also like, how do you, but then here are the trolls being like, but Kelly, I have four followers. How will I get traction on it? And that's a great question because yeah, Twitter is useful if you have a following and you need to help. However, if you use hashtags for like different technologies and whatnot, it's a lot easier for people to find your question. But basically like use the benefits of social media or like use the features to help your, your tweet get found. Right. So like hashtag JavaScript, hashtag whatnot, because people do search through those and it's a great way to get noticed. Hashtag whatnot is my favorite hashtag. What is that even about? (laughs) You can, you can look it up later. It's a, so code newbie is actually my favorite one. Um, (laughs) Way to change the topic. I know it's like awkward joke. (laughs) Um, I know we, I love the, Kelly's dad jokes. Uh, we promised those in uh, Twitter land. I'm here to deliver whether they're terrible or whether they're awesome. No, that, that that's was the beauty funny. of dad jokes. <laughs> you're, the, you're the dad of Twitter, though. I think so. For me with resources, I think mine are a little bit different. I don't learn super well with video content, and so I don't normally go in that direction, which I think a lot of people actually do. And those tutorials are always super, super popular. I personally gravitate towards blog posts and just a collection of blog posts that come out. And if something has a great set of documentation, then I'm so much more likely to learn it because that's the way that I learn best and trying to build something with it. So I don't know, have good documentation. It'll help me learn your thing. Thank you. True, true. I feel like this is a great segue, Lindsay. You want to take it away? Sure. So something that we do in Women Who Code DC is every Friday, I, unless I'm not there and people take over, but I try really hard to prompt people to share one success or one win that they have uh, every week. Just, you know, it doesn't even have to be tech related. It can be personal. It can be, I actually slept. (laughs) You know, I... I love sharing those wins because I think it really helps us keep us grounded in the industry when there's always a lot of toxicity. So who wants to go first? Who wants to share their win first? I'll go first. Okay. Since I'm first on our list. Okay. Um, so I, I almost feel like I'm humble bragging, but you know what? I'm going to own it. I'm going to humble brag. So Please I had a goal. Brag. I had a goal. I'm going to not humble brag. I had a goal this year to speak at one conference and that petrified me. And so in lieu of that, I decided to speak at 10, uh, which is thrilling, but also terrifying. So I'm really pumped about it. I'm also hoping that I survive it, but I would say, yeah, that's a huge win. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. How about you, Allie? Yeah. So I relatively recently hit a million readers of my blog, which is a big number. And so I'm excited about that. That's awesome. Wait, you hit a a million subscribers? Readers. So people who have like read my blog posts. That is cool. Yeah, lots of people. Cool. Yeah, that is a lot of people. I don't know that many people. Same. Same. Awesome. All right, Kelly, you want to share yours? Yeah. So I run a small business, as I speak about very frequently on Twitter. And this past week, a friend of mine just told me about a very affordable 401k option where I can finally start offering retirement to my employees, and I won't go bankrupt. I'm super thrilled about this. Uh, It's called Guideline 401k, or I guess it's just called Guideline technically, if any of you are in the same boat as me. That is awesome. So mine's a little bit of a delayed one. And by delayed, I mean this happened like a month ago, but 
uh, last month, I actually spoke to the developers at Spotify about JavaScript and accessibility. And it is probably the most confident I've ever felt speaking in front of people. And I actually walked away from my podium. I felt really cool. And I had like a Britney Spears headset. It's kind of neat. I felt super, super like, oops, I did it again, but without the red jumpsuit. Um, <laughs> next um, time. Next time, next time. Okay, I got to get myself a red jumpsuit. But so yeah, that was a super positive experience going to Stockholm and meeting some of the people at Spotify. So yeah, super, super fun time. That so, yeah. is awesome. So with that, we want to say thank you very much for listening to our first episode ever. Our first episode was not four minutes long, y'all. That was our teaser. Don't worry. But we've got more... <laughs> We got more great stuff coming down the pipeline in our backlog. So uh, thanks for tuning in. We're really excited you're here and um, we'll see you next time. Don't forget to subscribe. And like, and leave a review. I don't know how these things work. Five yeah. stars. I don't either, but, <laughs> but thumbs, up, thumbs up all the thumbs. Okay, thank you. 